2: To get started,
1: visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Lightning Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the tennis podcast.
2: So tennis podcast from Roland Garros. I'm not there. I'm in England. David Law here, commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live. Catherine Whittaker not with us today. She's had a particularly busy day uh, broadcasting for Eurosport and uh, telling all the stories of the day. Uh, However, I have got a fantastic guest with us from our partners at The Telegraph, Charlie Eccleshare, one of their writers uh, who is a specialist on tennis alongside Simon Briggs, their tennis correspondent. And, Charlie, I think it is fair to say you are the fastest typer in the world because you have to do the uh the live blog don't you on the telegraph website and i've never seen anybody write so quickly in my whole life trying to keep up to date with the number of courts with action and stories going on uh how's it been so far what what have been the main stories testing you today
1: yeah it's been good uh it's been fun the thing i've started doing to, to really test myself is doing every point on a tie break it no. used to be just kind of yeah it used to be just do the tie break but now it's we've stepped it up, you know, you've got to keep evolving. Um, But uh, yeah, no, today's been good. What was quite challenging was Norrie and Edmunds matches, basically finishing simultaneously. So uh, essentially trying to do two matches at the same time, um, which was quite challenging, but quite a good yin and yang, obviously, because you had one going the Brits way and the other, uh, not so much.
2: No, uh Isn't it interesting, though, to to be talking about two British players in second round action, both, well, one of them winning, Kyle Edmund, was a a four-set winner in the end against Martin Fucevic. And it was a a strange old match. We'll get onto that in a second. And then Cameron Norrie resuming his match when we were talking to everybody from our tennis podcast recording of last night. It was two sets to love Luca Pui and we were just talking about Cameron Norrie trying to get it into an extra day with the light fading and that's exactly what he did. He did a great job and then he kept it really close, didn't he? Today, he got himself a a set point. He nearly won it. We had one of those tie breaks that you would have had to detail in forensic uh, uh, Mm -hmm. detail at super fast speed. But as you say, this is... And a, a, a tournament without Johanna Konta and Andy Murray in, where you are doubling up and talking about two British players in the second round of a slam, that that hasn't really happened, has
1: it? No, exactly. And and you know the strangest thing is that a- Andy Murray isn't one of them. Um, and they both acquitted themselves really well today in, in different circumstances. You had Kyle Edmund. I actually thought he he almost did an Andy Murray impression um, that match. You know, it was. I feel like I've watched that Murray match so many times that. He wins in four sets, with one set completely getting away from him, um, which is what happened to Edmund in the second set. Um, and then you had Cameron Norrie really, I think, you know, exceeding expectations over the course of those two days, um, pushing Luca Pui really, really hard, so nearly getting into a fifth set when who knows what would have happened. You know, Nor- Norrie's very fearless. Um, and he just couldn't quite eke out that tiebreak. Um, I should mention as well, Heather Watson as well. Um, you know, making it three Brits uh, in singles action, and uh, she she'll be the only one I think who'll come away thinking she didn't quite do herself justice.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's there was. A, I was listening to 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 your your Telegraph colleague, our good friend Simon Briggs, a regular here on the tennis podcast, who was commentating on on BBC Radio alongside the team there, and and towards the end of the match of Cameron Norrie, he said he said, you know, he really is a so-and-so, isn't he, Cameron mm-hmm. Norrie? You know, there's, a, there's something about him. He likes a bit of a scrap. He likes to get in the face of an opponent. He's, he, he's, he's irritating in a way that British players normally aren't. And, and I mean, you, you and I spoke about him in depth three months ago during that Davis Cup tie when Britain were in Spain and he was playing so well in that. I mean, I can see where Simon's coming from there.
1: Oh, definitely. And I think in being out there in Spain with him and the rest of the team, he it was his kind of phlegmatism about the whole thing that certainly took me by surprise. You know, he just pulled off this massive shock win uh, against Bautista Agut. And he basically looked like, what's the big deal? You know, why are you that surprised? He he has that confidence. He has a bit of a swagger to him. He doesn't look intimidated, the fact that he's playing these these high-ranked players. Um he looks like yeah, that's where that's where I should be. Um, and he looks like he's totally comfortable in that setting. He's got a bit of an edge. He probably is a bit of a you know not the nicest person to play against. He said he fought like a dog today, which I thought summed it up quite well. Um, and it is nice, you know. We've spoken about this before. I think that too many too many of these young guys are overly respectful. Um, you know, when they're up against the players with a, a greater reputation. He seems no respecter of reputation. He went out there and looked like he really believed he could beat Luka Pui. And those big wins will come.
2: Yeah, he did. Uh, I agree, um, Kyle Edmund. I, I like your description. The comparison to Murray in in regard to the the, the sort of scenic route that he almost took. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he his mind did appear to wander a little bit for a while. Although I think that takes maybe a little bit away from Fucevic, who's obviously a talent and um, and and won a title the week before, so he he can play. But it does set up it's just a delicious looking third round match between Carl Edmund and and Fabio Fanini, doesn't it? Who, you know, you never know what you're going to get from day to day with that guy.
1: Oh, it's so exciting. I mean, I think it's, it's quite unlucky on Edmund actually to, to get that as a third round draw. You look at some of the other matches and, you know, you'd feel pretty confident of Edmund beating a lot of the guys who are, who who are up, who are at that stage. Uh, Fanini is a horrible draw. You know, he's especially on clay. He's, such a talented shot maker talk about swagger earlier well he's got it in spades you know he's kind of peacock on the court he looks like he just loves it you'd think that would be given uh, a big court um and you know for him to really strut his stuff i'd actually make fanini probably the, the minor favorite um for that one um and just you know linking it back to murray as well i think You'll remember that 2014 Davis Cup tie um, in Naples, I think it was, when Fanini took Murray to the cleaners. And that just did not happen in Davis Cup. Um, but, you know, Ed- Edmunds playing well enough, certainly, to, uh, to have a-, a good chance. But, uh, yeah, Fanini on clay tough third
2: round draw yeah it's an on his day kind of thing with fanini isn't it because on his day he can beat pretty much anybody he's beaten nadal over the best of five sets as you say he really outplayed andy murray in davis cup that just does not happen very often i can only think of one martin del potro as another one who's mm. done that um but equally if if edmund punches the clock regularly in that match you you can sometimes see Fanini just frankly lose it. Um, and, and, and it can go the other way dramatically as well. So I, I would agree with you. I think I, I, I'm not convinced that Edmund will enjoy the, the circus that, that Fanini mm. can bring. Um, and, and his ability to maybe mess him around a bit. But that will be interesting to follow. We will find out. But I, I tend to, to agree with you. Um, elsewhere today, Rafael Nadal was, well frankly in 50 sets in a row on a single surface winning form wasn't he I mean what he did to to poor old Guido Pella was just rude I mean you know yeah Pella didn't play badly and he got beaten oh, 6-2 6-1
1: 6-1 honestly that first set Pella played really well um he had game points in five of the eight games he had 15 30s in the two other in two of the three others you know he was really in a in that match and Playing out of his skin, and he lost it six two, you know. And he he won four games in total of a match that he genuinely couldn't have played a whole lot better. Um, and Nadal, he so the first set he kind of he was grinding games out. From there on in, it was just frightening, spraying winners off either wing, and and it occurred to me today that he hasn't lost a match at the French Open uh, in three years since twenty fifteen. And I was thinking back to that match and the kind of obituaries that were being written about him. You know, Djokovic just scored him and it, it was almost sad to watch. I was thinking then if you'd said that, you know, three years on, he won't have lost another match at Ronan Garros, he'll be this invincible. I mean, it just would have seemed crazy. He seemed so down and out. And now you just, you can't imagine anyone laying a glove on the Nadal here. You know, he just looks so much better than the field. Who, who's who's going to challenge him?
2: Yeah, he, he really had to rebuild himself back then, didn't he, confidence-wise. And it's why I still think that it is doable, that Djokovic may be able to do the same. Because I know Djokovic has had physical problems, but I do feel that a lot of it is just lack of confidence, lack of that feel that he had back then. And I don't see any reason why somebody as great as he is, as somebody who's won as much as he is, as long as he's fit, why would he not be able to rediscover it if he's prepared to put himself through what Nadal put himself through?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we we do fall into this trap um, often with sport. We kind of we can't quite comprehend that it will ever not be exactly as it is right at that very moment. Yes. And you know, th- there was a time where Djokovic was winning at such a canter that we thought. When will he ever stop winning grand slams? He's just going to win the calendar slam this year. He'll probably do it next year. I mean, he was genuinely dominating to that extent. Then all of a sudden, you know, a few months, a year later, and you're thinking, oh, Djokovic, that's him done. He'll never win another slam. And, and Nadal shows. He's shown it about three times that we've said, right, well, that's it. You know, clearly that's it for him. But it does change so quickly. Djokovic could win a slam this year. And then you're looking into next year and saying, "Oh, could he could he catch Roger Federer's total?" You know, it 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 just changes so quickly. And Djokovic definitely can uh, can can do a Nadal or a Federer, you know, or Serena Williams, who we'll we'll come and talk about, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, we, we will. Um, j- just another couple of quick ones on the men before we get on to to Serena Williams and, and the rest of the women's draw. Uh, there, there was a great line that I saw from Chris Clary from the New York Times on social media. Just he, he'd been keeping an eye on a match that you know doesn't make the headlines but featured. Uh, the elder brother of Alexander Zverev, Misha Zverev, up against Sergei Stakovsky. Um, two players who just love to serve and volley, and they don't care that it's clay, and they just went at each other. And the the, the net approaches in three sets were were well over a hundred. <laughs> and, <then, laughs> and I just thought, "Crikey!" I mean, I, do, I, I think that that you there was an option to get a stream of that match, but if I was there, I. If you could just have the afternoon off and go and see a tennis match, that's the one I think I'd go for.
1: Oh, yeah, to watch, to watch two out-and-out serve volleys, I mean, it just it doesn't happen anymore, does it? You know, Misha Zverev gave us that glimpse of it at um, at the Australian Open of, of 2017. I think there are a lot of articles written there and be like, yes, this could be it. You know, does this herald a kind of renaissance of the serve volleyer? And, and of course, then the kind of sobering reality of... Um, of tennis and the clay court season then took over it's great to see them both it's almost like they made a gentleman's agreement like well look I'm going to do it it's a kamikaze tactic but if you do it as well then we're kind of evil <laughs> and, you, and you know what's great as well Misha's Zverev's next opponent is Kevin Anderson who also I mean not a serve volleyer as such but he's hardly a kind of clay court natural um so, so you think you know Misha could employ those tactics again
2: yeah no it certainly opens things up now we we had uh on the eve of this um this tournament charlie as we always do we had our predictions competition with our kickstarter backers who'd all chipped in to help keep the tennis podcast going and and uh we 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 take them on catherine and i and and uh student matt and simon briggs your colleague and rosie the dog everybody enters and (laughs) uh and only two people one of them, Rosie the Dog, so not strictly speaking a, a person. Um, only two entries in the men's predictions competition did not pick Nadal. And we're talking over 20 people into this league. Um, are you prepared to be a third? No. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> okay,
1: then. Uh, it, it's, well, it's one of those, isn't it, where you, you want to say it because it's always more interesting to sort of be contrarian. But it's really hard to make that case, uh, rationally. Um, Yeah, it's not impossible, like, especially as, it was two years ago, wasn't it, where he looked like he was in good nick and then got an injury. It's possible he could pick up an injury. But looking at the draw, it's hard, it's very, very hard to see him not making the quarters for a start. And then once he gets there, on that stage, I mean, even getting a set against him feels like a gargantuan effort. To get three, I just can't see who's going to do that Who's and who's going to really believe in themselves. You know, I was talking to Robin Sodling, you, the, the interview I did. And he just said, you know, a lot of it is, you know, one of two men to have beaten Nadal or a garrison And he said so much of it is about belief. You know, do these guys really go out on court and think they're going to beat Nadal? And I just, I, I can't see anyone having that belief and then having the nerve to kind of be as aggressive um, as you need to be to beat Nadal, um, and,
2: and Sodling did believe, and he was prepared, in Jeff Tarango's words, to get in his kitchen.
1: Absolutely, and and that ties back to Cameron Norrie as well. I think it's it's great to see that you want players who who aren't really intimidated by reputations. Who yeah, they're going to make life a bit difficult for you. Look at Lucas Rosol in that twenty twelve Wimbledon upset. You know, he was. A little bit nasty. He upset Nadal. The following year, he kicked over his water bottles, which is just hilarious. But you know, maybe maybe it will take something like that to uh, to unsettle Nadal. Um, but I, I think. I- the rest of the field at the moment looks too nice too civilized to do something like that
2: yeah and Nadal's just a bit too good quite quite yeah. honestly um so anyway he's through Denis Shapovalov went out today uh at the hands of Martyra, who looks a bit of a player from Germany uh Diego Schwarzman was a winner today uh Marin Cilic as well and uh then John Isner had a, a couple of tie breaks as per usual while Martin Del Potro <laughs> looked a bit better today I mean he's he he was a, an injury doubt on the on the eve of this tournament and, and he came through in straight sets against Julian Beneteau. Um but yeah lots of big names still remaining it'll be fascinating Nadal against Richard Gasquet next and he always beats Gasquet doesn't he yeah.
1: so, F- 15 love he leads that that's not yeah. a score in a game that's <laughs> genuinely the head to head and you imagine that would become 30 love if they were to play another 15 times yeah, um, yeah so. he, his game just doesn't match that well he doesn't really have the weapons to hurt Nadal and And, you know, when you've lost 15 times, it must be hard to g yourself up and, you know, really talk about self-belief going on court. I don't imagine Gasquet will have tons of it.
2: No. Well, the story, I mean, we're recording probably half an hour after the great Serena Williams left the court, left Philippe Chatrier court. However, she will be coming back because she won through against Ash Barty in three sets, having lost the first, and Barty was playing a very canny game. She's a lovely player to watch, slicing the backhand, whipping the forehand and moving well, and Serena Williams' movement was exposed a little bit in that first set, I thought, and she's not always the most comfortable-looking person on clay, and then suddenly, in the second set... (laughs) the real Serena came out. And in her words, in fact, in the Encore interview afterwards, she says, I I decided to bring Serena out. And it was like, it was like a superhero just suddenly arrived and she started roaring with, with every shot, both when she hit it and if she were winning a point, she was just imposing her will and her aura on the match. And... I thought right at the start of that second set I wonder whether Ash Barty can handle this because I saw her a couple of weeks ago play a really good three-set match against Maria Sharapova who similarly was just going straight at her and 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 it felt like was trying to intimidate her and eventually Sharapova got the better of her and Serena Williams is Sharapova times three in terms of well first of all ability we we know about their head-to-head plus just aura and presence and and Williams just—that was a stunning victory for me. I'm sure. I'm sure she's well short of her best, but that was just a reminder of how good she is and what a what a force she is in the game.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I thought that was a really good point about Ash Barty. Um, I interviewed her last year actually, and she's she's lovely. She's very friendly, and um, you know she's ve- she's very self deprecating. And I and I do wonder if she kind of has that killer instinct. Um, especially against Serena, as you say, to, to really back yourself against this sort of force of nature that Serena is. And, you know, she hit, uh, Serena hit this backhand winner, uh, when she was down a set and a break and that just seemed to, yeah, transform her. You know, after that, she was going after her shots. She was celebrating them wildly. It was, uh, it was frightening. She was just suddenly in the zone, um, and looked unbeatable. Um, I think, yeah, you, if you look at it objectively and say, was that a perfect performance? Of course it wasn't. There were mistakes in there. Um, but she played smart as well. I thought there were a few times where she she thought, I'm going to conserve my energy here. Once she had the break in, um, in that third set, she did a kind of Pete Sampras-esque thing of not throwing returning games, but being a bit canny about how much effort she's going to put in. She was guessing on some returns because she backed herself that she could serve it out. And she did. And the willpower to, you know, from a set down, a breakdown against one of the best movers, you know, someone who's very smart, Ash Barty. She, you know, she's got great drop shots. She's got great, great slices. I would have liked to see her get to the net a bit more. You know, she's a great volleyer, excellent doubles player. But it's very hard to think clearly when you're up against the greatest player who's ever played the game. Um, And that force of will to see that, was was incredible and be interesting to see where she goes from here because she could with with all the intensity that she has it wouldn't be a surprise if she carried on winning at the same time if someone was to come along and you know beat her reasonably comfortably you'd think well yeah that kind of makes sense given how much she's played recently
2: and would you believe dear listeners that she is one match win away, effectively two match wins because they've both got to win, obviously. Against playing against Maria Sharapova in the fourth round, just imagine. I mean, that is one match win for either player away from happening. I mean, it's it's got to happen, hasn't it? It, I mean, it is. Come on, it's a delicious
1: gods. prospect, isn't it? And it's a shame tennis isn't like other sports where the, you know if this was boxing or something, it would just be set up to happen. It's a like the kind of nadal Federer, US Open curse. Um, yeah, you know, if, if either of their opponents get in the way, that really would be so, so cruel on all of us.
2: <laughs> A bit like when, when, important, when Serena was trying for the, for the calendar slam and uh, Roberta Vinci got in the way, although she was absolutely stunning that day. She was brilliant, yeah. but still, come on. You're not supposed to get in the way of that storyline. <laughs>
1: Well, the best thing about that was all the people had final tickets and then were, you know, had, had spent th- thousands of pounds and, you know, celebrities turning up and then, um, yeah, to see Vinci against uh, Panetta in the final, you know, which is quite a, a niche, uh, a niche match at the best of time. It <laughs> yes. wasn't quite what they'd anticipated.
2: I mean, the, the the other interesting element to it is is actually on paper, both Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova are underdogs in their respective matches because Serena is up against Julia Gerges, who's the eleventh seed. Sharapova is up against Karolina Pliskova, who's the sixth seed. So, I mean, come on, Charlie, lay your neck on the line. Is it going to happen?
1: I think Sharapova will lose. I think uh, I think Serena will win and Sharapova will lose so we'll have uh which would also be really good with Serena um
2: yeah it would be good I I actually think Sharapova Williams will happen but there you know I'm a I I do like a bit of uh soap opera and drama so uh, (laughs) you know I can I can convince myself on any of these movie script uh, endings it's not a problem What what else has happened today? Simona Halep was a winner, much more straightforwardly today against Taylor Townsend. Uh, you mentioned Heather Watson going out to Elise Mertens, who who actually looks like a, a good player at the moment. Angelique Kerber was a winner, as was Kiki Burton. So most of the big players won. Caroline Garcia got through Muguruza. I tell you what, Muguruza was, was named a couple of days as a, a, ago as a player that if she were to get into the second week of this thing she actually in many ways becomes the favourite because she's that sort of player. She's the Stan Wawrinka of the, of the mm-hmm. women's circuit and in as much as you get her on a roll, well, how do you stop her?
1: Yeah, you get her on a roll and you get her motivated and when there's that carrot dangled of, uh, of a grandson title, she, she comes alive. Um, yeah, it sounded like she was sort of a bit of a bitty performance today, but, you know, did enough and you're going to have those in the first week. Um, St- Sam Stosur next for her. You'd obviously make her a big favourite, and then yeah, I mean, there isn't. We know there isn't an outstanding favourite, um, you know, for the title in the women's draw. She's definitely got as good a shout as anyone.
2: Yeah, she has. Um, anything else stand out? today for you while you were watching I, I know uh, Catherine Whittaker I saw her doing a little piece on our Yorkshire friend earlier today and and got him interviewing Kyle Edmund which was a, which was <laughs> a, a meeting of Yorkshire minds so uh, that was fun anything else has uh, stood out for you today
1: I enjoyed um again just with the if you had this free afternoon and you could you weren't working and you could just go and watch uh around the court's Court six, um, there was a battle of the lucky losers, I think it was. Uh, Zop from Estonia and Bemelmans from Belgium. And uh, Bemelmans won the first two sets and then Zop came back to win in five. And kind um, of raucous atmosphere out there. Kind of both players seem to generate this huge support. Um, and I thought that was quite a nice story, especially in a tournament where, you know, lucky losers have um, been quite a, a big talking point.
2: Yeah. Um, I- I, no, I agree. I, I I do like the and that's the beauty of t- of these slams, really. I think I think as well if you wander around the qualifying round courts, I mean there are stories within stories of every court uh, out there. You know, there's a, there's somebody's life on the line, their livelihood, their their Marco Trungaliti uh, journey to to try to make it big. You know, and and so much of this happens. I mean, it's just a shame that we don't get to tell all these stories, really.
1: Yeah, I know they do, you know, that's why it was so nice, the Tringoletti one, because, you know, it did receive such, um, such a wide audience. And I think it really, it really captured the imagination, you know, similar to that, you know, the Marcus Willis one for me always sticks out, um, from a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I think people can really empathize with the, you know, someone grinding away and then, uh having their, their 15 minutes or yeah. however long it lasts.
2: Just before I go through the the order of play and we sign off for, for the night, Charlie, um, I, I'm going to do this with you because uh, Catherine would uh, would just not allow this. So, but she's not on the <laughs> podcast tonight, so that's fine. I can do whatever I like. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm like fantastic. the
1: soft touch parent you, you, you,
2: you to, Yeah, you, know, I'm I'm you sure. are. Yeah, <laughs> you are. So, so I asked on social media before the tournament, uh, aside from Nadal Soderling at Roland Garros, what is the most shocking result you can ever remember apart from that one? Can you think Ooh. of anything good? Let's see. I've got loads of contributions from our Twitter followers here, but I'll just give you first go at it.
1: That's a good one. I remember that uh, the coria gaudio uh, final of 2004, um, where Coria was huge favourite, had beaten Tim Henman uh, in the semis and led two sets to love and then completely fell apart um, and lost it in five, which, again, for a final was, was, was really unusual. Uh, Martin Verkirk, the kind of general run to the final of uh, the year before, I think it was 2003. Uh, I remember just, you know, tons of s- strange upsets for him. For him on the way, um, but I'm sure I'm missing some obvious ones. So put me. Put me I, out I, my I'm
2: minutes. impressed actually. These these are good contributions, and a couple of them are are, are amongst those on my list here. Uh, Edmund Wong says uh, when a top form Stan beat a, beat a seemingly destined to finally win the French Open, uh, Novak Djokovic after beating after he'd beaten uh, Nadal in the semi final. A couple of people going for that. Wendy is going for the 1990 final hairpiece defeating Agassi, which is a bit cause actually it was Andres Gomez who who beat uh, Andre Agassi a huge shock at the time but yes as we re- we we ha- were f- to learn later in Andre Agassi's autobiography, he was wearing a hairpiece and not uh, actually his real hair. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that created a bit of a story in its own right. Uh, Tennis Fan 01 says, Chang beating Lendl. Nothing more shocking than that. Just go and take a look at the video of the day of this teenager against Lendl hitting underarm serves. Um, we have uh, Tennis Gravy who says, ostapenko's comeback from a set and three love down against Hallop last year. No, I'm definitely with you there. Susie says, what about when Serena lost to Rosano, what was that about five years ago? Something like that, mm, definitely a- first round, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a that was a huge shock uh, at the time. Uh, Gustavo Curtin winning the title uh, the first time in 1997. I, I must admit, I admit, when he won that title, I genuinely thought, "Well, who is this guy?" I, I, you know, I'd barely heard of 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 him. Chang beating Edberg in the '89 final. He obviously went on from that Lendl win uh, to to do so. Um, we've got just a couple more here uh we have
1: let's see
2: Maioli beating Hingis yes that I was, was just going to say
1: shot. from when you said 97 that reminded me of the Maioli Hingis that's the only grand slam match she lost all year
2: some good memories going on here and what about this from David Moreno Gilbert Schaller beating Pete Sampras uh yes <laughs> that was a bit of a surprise I remember that one and uh McEnroe losing to Lendl after being two sets up in his glory year uh John oh. Mackinac
1: And that's the one McEnroe in his book talks about it being the defeat that hurt him more than any other.
2: Yeah, Um, That's Gavin uh, says that one.
1: One other one as well, not so much a huge shock, but it was a kind of shocking occasion was the hingis Graf 99 final where Hingis was set in a breakup and seemingly in control. And do you remember it all fell apart horribly and she left the court in tears and her mum had to bring her back out. And and she never won a... Oh, she won one more Grand Slam after that, but... um, yeah. No actually she didn't. I don't think she won another slam. That didn't was she? that was the end. No, Crikey. I think I think it was uh the 99 Australian Open I think was her last Grand Slam.
2: Wow. That's amazing to think, yeah. Remember it well. Great memories, Charlie. Enjoyed reminiscing about those with you and all of our Tennis Podcast listeners. At Tennis Podcast, if you'd like to follow us, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. You can also leave us a review if you liked what you've heard on a daily basis over the course of the French Open. We'll be with you every day during the French Open with daily editions of the Tennis Podcast. We're brought to you in association with Charlie's media organisation, The Telegraph. Loads of great stories there for you to read. Charlie, thanks for joining us. It's been lovely to have you.
1: Pleasure. Thank uh, you.
2: It's been great to have you. Tomorrow we've got loads on the order of play, including Alexander Zverevib against Damir Jumar on uh, Chatrier Court. Caroline Wozniacki is in action Camilla Georgie against Sloane Stephens a little bit later that's a big uh, hitting affair and a lot of people think Sloane Stephens might do something here talking about big hitting get a load of this one on court Suzanne Longland to start the day Madison Keys against Naomi Osaka my goodness I would not want to be a tennis ball in that Uh, so (laughs) we will be back with another tennis podcast for you tomorrow Uh, we are produced our executive producers are Melanie Bowes Tennisballs.com and Triple S our mascot is charlie the ferret and don't forget you can enter our tennis podcastaways competition to try to win a trip to la manga club one of our sponsors uh, go to at tennis podcast to find out how you do that and we'll be back tomorrow
0: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen